We're going to have a, a little bit of fun, I think. Uh, once I get situated here. I'm going to put up a, a few things on the screen here, and I want you to try to tell me what they have in common. Up on the left is M&M's, then Adele 21, the Nokia 1100 phone. We've got Don Quixote de la Mancha, Candy Crush, I think is that next one, and the movie Avatar. Anybody, anybody know what they've got in common? <laughs> they promise more than they deliver. Maybe, <laughs> may, maybe. That's true. That, that kind of reminds me of, of the Cheers episode, those of you that are old enough to watch Cheers, where Cliff Clavin is, is on Jeopardy, and it comes to Final Jeopardy, and it's like, what do like Marilyn Monroe and, and President Eisenhower have in common? He says, who have never been in my kitchen? <laughs> that's, that's true, but that what really wasn't what I had in mind. What I had in mind is that they are all bestsellers in their categories, if you can believe it. M&M's is the best-selling candy of all time. Any agreement with that? Okay, good, good. <laughs> uh, best-selling movie is Avatar, and that, and that one on the left there, Don Quixote. That, that's the best-selling book of all time. It's sold over 500 million copies. That's, that's almost five times as many as the first Harry Potter book. Um, except that it's really not the bestseller, is it? Because we know what the bestseller is, right? It's the Bible. This, this book that, that we have is, is the bestseller. Do you, do you remember a time when you actually had to use this style of Bible? Because <laughs> today, today we, we opt more for, for this style or, or maybe this style. And we've got all, all the translations that we could ever want uh, at our fingertips. But yeah, we, we, we talk about the Bible as being the bestseller. And, and so I, I want to examine just a little bit this morning how important this book really is. And so if you have your Bibles, if not, they're, they're in your pew, or you can get out your electronic device and, and your iPad or whatever. 2 Kings chapter 22. Now, we're not going to read all this, but I, I, I just want you to flip in your Bible so you know uh, I'm not making it up. 2 Kings chapter 22, we, we read about this kid named Josiah. Got a little picture of him. I don't know if that's what he looked like, but he was eight years old, and he became the king. Now, I have an eight-year-old in my house. I'm telling you right now, if she became king or president, I would move to Canada. Anybody? <laughs> She's great. We, we love her. But she is not equipped to be the king. Well, she thinks she is. Um, she can barely read. Uh, she's not equipped to be the king. But we, we've got this King Josiah, and he gets a little older. And when he turns about 26 years old, he orders that some renovations be done to the temple. And so... Uh, he hands out some, some money to his guy, his main guy, and, and with some cash to pay for it. And so during the remodel, the high priest Hilkiah, he found this book. And it turned out to be the book of the law, the book. When I'm talking about the book of the law, what, what are we talking about? We're talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? The first five books of, of our Bible. They, they found this book. And he, he gives it to the king's guy, and the king's guy reads it. 
King's guy returns to the king and gives a report about the remodel, mentions things are going well, that you know, he paid the money out and stuff. And then he mentions, hey, by the way, Hilkiah gave me this scroll. And then he proceeds to read it to this king, Josiah, who's about 26 at this time. When he heard it, he tore his clothes in despair. He sent out his important people to figure out what to do next. He knew that they had not been doing what God had been asking them to do. So I don't know how how serious you are about stuff in your life, but have you ever torn your clothes in despair? I've torn my clothes for other reasons. You know, maybe the pants are a little too tight. You know, you sit down, whoop, like SpongeBob on, on that classic episode. Uh, we, we sometimes will, will tear our clothes. Maybe, maybe you, you know, you, you, when I was a kid, I wanted to impersonate Hulk Hogan, right? Because he always tore his shirt off every wrestling match. No wrestling fans in the house today? <laughs> tore his clothes off. I actually got to see Hulk Hogan once. I touched his bicep. He's he's pretty big dude. Pretty big dude. Anyways, tearing our clothes in, in, in this sense was, was a sign of, of ultimate despair, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we found the book, and I can't believe we haven't been doing what this book tells us we're supposed to do. This is the king doing this. He had received word that God was going to bring disaster on them, but because of his humility, that wasn't going to happen, or it was going to be delayed. Then he gathers everybody together, and he reads, or has someone read, the entire book of the covenant. He renews the covenant, and the king pledges to obey all of its commands. He then goes on this purging of Israel. I mean, this is some serious stuff. I I didn't really know what an Asherah pole was, so I looked it up, and that that pole on the left, that that was an Asherah pole. It was one of the the gods that they uh, were were submitting themselves to and making sacrifices for. And they had all these other shrines all throughout um, Israel, all, all of these, these pagan gods and shrines that they were, were following and, and devoting themselves to. He cleans house. He fires people. He destroys altars and shrines. He smashes pillars, cuts down the Asherah poles. Then he desecrates those places by spreading human bones over them. It's the Bible app telling you you should read the Bible. He burned down a large shrine and ground it to dust. He meant business. This is all found in 2 Kings 22 and 23. He meant business. Well, how serious are we about this book? Step one, if you're following along in your mini outline, step one is pretty simple. We need to read our Bibles. Barna did some research, and uh, I, I know that, that for, for many of us, um, reading books these days is, is time-consuming and difficult. We're going to get to the reasons why maybe we don't read it, but, but here are the, the, the statistics on Bible reading. Barna asked the question, says, how often, if ever, do you actually read the Bible, not including times when you're at church service or a church event? 13% responded every day. 14% said four times or more a week. 
8% said one time per week, 7% said once per month, and 58% said three times a year or less. In spite of, of those numbers, it's reported by Barna again that 80% of people in the United States believe that it's a holy or sacred book. 45% agree strongly that the Bible contains everything a person needs to know to live a meaningful life. 58% agree strongly or agree somewhat that the Bible is totally accurate in all of the principles it teaches. Well, if 58% believe that, but only 27 plus 8 is 30, 35% are reading it at least once per week. There's a disconnect there between how important we say this book is and, and how we are actually treating it. And so this morning, I, I want to challenge you to read your Bible. I'm not sure where you fit into that research. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm probably on that second line. 14% said four plus times per week. Um, there are a week here and there where I pr- probably don't read it every day. Um, but it's, it's cool because we have this Bible at our fingertips at all times now. You know, we, we, I carry this pretty much everywhere. I, I think most of you probably carry your phones everywhere. And if you have a smartphone, which is, I mean... Can you even buy that Nokia 1100 here these days? I mean, that was a best-selling phone worldwide. Because there are places that you can't afford smartphones. But, but I, I carry this pretty much everywhere. I, I have about 50 translations of the Bible right here. I have Bible apps that will, will encourage me. And, and uh, if, I, if I need... Not just do I have Bibles, I have Google. You guys use Google or Yahoo or... I don't know what else is out there. I only use Google, so I don't even know what's out there anymore. Your favorite search engine. We have so much information at our fingertips, and yet what do we find ourselves doing more and more? There's a reason Candy Crush is on that list, right? I mean, who, who, what's your favorite game? What's your favorite app that you play? You know, if we, we just stopped and read a couple verses of the Bible before we opened up our favorite other thing on our phone, you'd probably get through the Bible in like a month. <laughs> you know? Because we, we, we tend to be distracted. Even though now we have it so accessible, we still don't choose to read it. Well, why do we not read the Bible? These are the top reasons, according to an article I saw on, on Cruz's website. Uh, by the way, last week, uh, Marcus and Ariana were up here sharing. They're, they're crew uh, employees, crew missionaries. So I was on their website, and I found this, this article. Number one, I'm not religious. Number two... The Bible is for white Americans. I like that one. Number three, I can't get past Genesis. I can't get past Leviticus. Um, four, it's boring. Man, I, that's a crazy one. I'll get to that in a minute. Five, I can't understand it. Six, the Bible's full of errors. Seven, I don't have time. Eight, the Bible doesn't work for me. Nine, the Bible is outdated. And number 10, my personal favorite, I just don't want to. If any of those describe you, we, we can talk later, uh, or, or you can Google the article, and, and the article gives uh, a response to all of those. The point is that we've got to get past those things and crack open our Bibles and actually read it. Now, beyond reading, we've got to go to step two. And step two is, is to do a little, little digging. This actually is, is a, um, a process that, that not many people enjoy. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, I'll just give you one word from that, that verse. It says, 
Study. So how do we study our Bibles? A lot of methods. A lot of methods you can use as, as a Christian to, uh, to study your Bibles. I, I listed a bunch of them here on the screen. The, the 5P method, the OPA method, the spec method, the, the fact sheet method, using a commentary or doing a character study or line by line, verse by verse. I mean, there, there are a lot of ways you can study. You can use Google to study your Bible. If you use any uh, outside sources other than Scripture itself, you, you do need to remember that some of those outside sources can be a little crazy. You've know? you, you got to check who it is that's writing the resource that you're using and make sure that, that they are reliable and honest, uh, giving an honest interpretation of Scripture. But we, we have to dig some. We have to commit ourselves some time to digging. So if, if only 25, what was it, 27 plus, seven, if only 35% are reading more than once a week, how many of that percent are actually studying their Bibles? I didn't see any research on, on that. But I'm guessing the percentage goes way lower. Because if we can't get people to read their Bibles, how, how do you get people to, to actually study God's Word? Well, the question is, why, why should we study? Other than the fact that we're, we're kind of commanded to in Scripture. When we, when we put these steps together, step one, reading, step two, studying, we get to the part that I think is is critical in our Christian walk. We become transformed. The transformation that takes place when we read and study the Bible is literally a miracle. Romans 12, <clears throat> Romans 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. This is a transformation that takes place. It's not just a, uh, an information dump. But it's a transformation that takes place when we read and study our Bible that we really need. Well, what does the Bible really have to offer? Well, really just about everything you can imagine. As Christians, we can all pretty much agree that it contains the story of God, His plan of creation, His plan of redemption through Christ. That's a really huge, true story that everyone needs to know. We are transformed from outsiders to insiders. We, we become adopted into God's family. It offers tons of practical advice on just about any subject. Finances, dealing with sorrow and loss, addiction, all that relationship stuff like love and forgiveness and patience and friendship. The list goes on. It it equips us, encourages us, comforts us. All of these are transformational. But I think there's a, a huge roadblock to that actually taking place, to true transformation taking place. One of the main functions of Scripture is that it reveals us. I'll let that sink in just for a minute. It reveals us. It shines a light on who we really are and how sinful we really are. And we aren't sure how, how we should deal with that. In fact, I think for me, this is the, the biggest reason, the biggest roadblock for me personally that, that I don't really want to dig in to Scripture. We really don't want the, the bright light shining on us. Well, I lived in Macau in, in China. Uh, I had an apartment on the fourth floor, and uh, I lived by myself, and I enjoyed doing that. But, but every once in a while at, at night when, when I would lay down and, and turn the lights off and go to sleep, I, I would hear something. That's what I would hear. I hear this 
I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And I made the mistake of wanting to kill this thing. So I flipped the lights on. And guess what I saw? An army of these things. <laughs> I should have just left the lights off. I'd have been way better off. I'd have been happier. I probably would have slept better. And so now i got to go on this killing spree of giant flying cockroach things in my house. In, in my house in China, I had no food. I didn't cook even once in my apartment. The food was so cheap to eat at the, at the restaurants, why would I ever cook? So I don't even know what they were eating at my house, but they were just there. Well, I do kind of know what they were eating. Outside of every door apartment in China is a little shrine to Buddha, and they sit food out there. Free food for the cockroaches. Uh, no wonder the building was full of cockroaches. You keep putting food out. Um, so anyways, uh, but the, the, the point was when the light shone is when I saw the real issue. It was a lot bigger issue than I could have seen in the dark. And I think that, that, that's a, a big roadblock for us because once you start digging in Scripture and you start seeing yourself for who you really are, that's, that can be scary. It be a scary thing. Close relationships can do that as well. And I think in this day and age, this is one of the reasons why we don't have close friends. Or at least we don't have close Christian friends. It's difficult. My wife had a conversation. I didn't even ask permission for this, but shoot me later. Uh, my wife had a conversation with her dad shortly after we were married. And, you know, having not lived together and not been together, and then you get married and, and a few months in, and she's like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> it's probably because of me. Um, but she says, I didn't realize how, how selfish I was as a person. Until you, you had to get up, up close and personal with another person. And you're sharing your life. I, I'm sure no other married couple has ever experienced that. So, so it's probably just us, April. So you're forgiven. I know I'm perfect. So it, 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 it happened more recently in our family when, when we decided to become foster parents. And, and we've got this little eight-year-old alien that, that we showed you on the screen. And... and she has done more for our spiritual um, growth than any other experience, I think, in my life. Um, because she challenges us every day with our own selfishness. Now, I had her, uh, I, the picture was from yesterday. We went to the uh, Amish auction, and uh, she found that sculpture that kind of looks like our dogs, both of them. And uh, she was driving me nuts. <laughs> I mean, oh, it's like she wanted to buy every piece of junk that she saw, and she had some birthday money, but, and she revealed to me how, how selfish I am with my time, how selfish I am um, when it comes to her and, and loving her. And, and that's tough to deal with, I think, as, as a Christian. And the closer we get to Christ, I think the more deficient we see that we are. And so we decide not to. And I'm getting a little too close here, so... So I, I'm going to detach from this relationship. Whether it's, it's with your spouse or with your kids or with your friends. If, if they get too close, we decide, ah, I, think, I think we're going to detach a little bit from that. That's really not the life that we are called to. We're not called to the easy, detached, oblivious life. We are called to be transformed and and it only can happen through reading and studying God's Word. Rick Warren was once asked about what the best translation of the Bible was. 
And his answer was, when you translate it into your life, that's what Bible study is all about. If you're not translating God's word into your life, you're not studying the Bible the way it was intended to be. This transformation, we go from, from an ugly worm to a beautiful butterfly. This transformation that happens when we read and study God's word, we don't just become a more informed little worm. It should result in us being transformed. It should give us a bigger heart, not a bigger head. In the book of James, we're told, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Just like King Josiah, way, way, way back when, when he discovered the book of the law, he didn't just read it. He made a commitment for Israel to do what it says. In other words, God wants our beliefs to be turned into behavior. God makes his, his purpose for the Bible even more explicit in 2 Timothy 3. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The, pur- the purpose of the, of the Bible is, is more than just showing us what is wrong in our lives or how we should live. God gave us his word to radically transform us. You know, the Bible describes itself in a lot of different ways. It's, it's a hammer, it's a sword, it, it's a knife or a scalpel. All of those tools are designed to make radical changes. I'm so glad when, when I've gone in to have surgery that, that they use a tool that's, that's not dull. <laughs> you know, that, that, that wouldn't be much fun unless you're totally, you know, put out, I guess. Um, but they use, they use tools that are meant to make radical changes. God intends for the Bible to dramatically change our lives. It also is described as milk and water and bread and meat. And what do those things all have in common? You need them or you'll die. Okay, if you don't eat or drink them regularly, you'll die. We're never meant to live without God's word. The Bible is essential to our lives because it gives us life. In fact, the Bible also talks about Jesus as the word of God. John 1 says, So the word became human and lived here on earth among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory to the glory of the only Son of the Father. God gave you, God gave us the living word. Jesus Christ, to be the author and finisher of our faith. And he gave us the written word to prepare us to live out our faith. When we read scripture, we can see clearly, I think, how disobedient and sinful we are. But, but since we don't read much anywhere, we find it easy to allow sin to survive and even thrive. Uh, I read a book uh, not too long ago. It was called Respectable Sins. And the author, uh, his name is Jerry Bridges, he tackles several sins that have become culturally acceptable. See if these uh, describe any of you. Hopefully they don't. Things like anxiety and frustration, pride, selfishness, lack of self-control, impatience and irritability, anger, envy, jealousy, our tongues, worldliness. These are all things that we have come to tolerate. We don't look at these things as shrines or other gods or, or Asherah poles that that need to be ripped out of our lives. We become so self-absorbed that the idea of denying ourselves anything seems ridiculous, funny, crazy, or even insulting. 
we start to buy into a line of thinking, I think, that supports this. So instead of reading and studying Scripture, which might lead us into transformation, we ignore our Bibles and follow our hearts, which most certainly will lead us in a different direction. And it's bad enough to follow ourselves, but now there's such popular teaching going on in, in the world today um, that, that you, can, you can get led astray, I think, very easily. And here's why. 2 Timothy 4.3 says this, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. If we're not reading and studying Scripture, I can tell you right now, we will be led astray into, into a line of thinking that will match what our evil, sinful hearts really want. Now, I, I don't want to pick on some, some of the people who are, who are prevalent in our world today, but if, if your message is always about health and personal riches, that's, that's not biblical. It just isn't. And if you follow those who espouse that theology, it, it's leading you astray. There's an alarming number of those false teachers who are popular. They're not students of Scripture. They have not studied God's Word accurately. They've become extremely wealthy, though, in in the process. They teach a gospel that's false. It's centered on your health and your riches. It has little to do with sacrifice and suffering. Because here's what happens. Satan loves to take our attention away from the thing that we celebrated this morning. The cross. Satan wants to take our attention away from the cross. He did it with Mormons as they teach that Jesus paid for, for our sins in the Garden of the Gethsemane. Islam teaches that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Maybe it was Judah. Christian science teaches that Jesus didn't even die because death is an illusion. But I think in our world today, we turn to ourselves and don't even worry about Jesus. The Bible says it much differently. The atonement was made on the cross where Jesus bled and died for us. First Peter says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Ephesians 1 says that we have redemption and forgiveness through his blood. And then Jesus himself says, You need to take up your cross and follow me. I don't know about you, but that's not what I really want to hear. I'd rather hear that if I put my faith in God, everything will be great. I'll be healthy, I'll be wealthy, I'll live a long life, and things will be awesome. But if any of you who live in the real world, you know that that's kind of an empty promise. We are promised suffering, heartache, temptation. We don't want to talk about that. I don't want to hear that stuff. When you read scripture, that's exactly what it says. One more, one more uh, comment on that. It, it, how can you tell if, if something's not biblical, if it's not in line with scripture? Uh, my wife shared with me a, a story about, um, uh, I think it was Canadian uh, police force or whatever, talking about counterfeit money. And the way they teach their, their people to... to um, suspect a counterfeit is to train them to know the original so well that anything that is different from what they know to be the original 
is counterfeit. They don't try to tell them all the, the ways that people can counterfeit money. No, they focus on the truth. And that's exactly how you can handle false teachers. You focus on the truth. You'll be able to tell if something's not biblical. We have to be so in tune with the real thing that we can spot a counterfeit immediately. That means we need to read and study our Bibles. Maybe even memorize some verses. You know, when I was a kid, uh, I was part of a Bible release program in our elementary school. And this bus would come and pick us up and take us off school property. And, and we'd go to a local church and, and we'd sit and, and we, would, we would recite verses that we've memorized. And then they had a little, a little chart for each of us and, and they would check off the verses that, that we had memorized and we would get prizes. And I was motivated by prizes when I was a little kid. So, so I'd memorize more because I'm like, hey, bigger prizes, more verses. So I would, I would memorize a lot of scripture when I was in elementary school. Then when I was a teen, uh, the United Brethren Church had, had Bible quizzing. And, and out in Pennsylvania, we had a bunch of UB churches. And so most churches had teams. And, and that was a cool way to meet girls. And, uh, and so I, I wanted to be good because you couldn't, like, stink and have girls want to hang out with you. So, so I memorized lots of Scripture. And I remember as a 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th grader, um, I was extreme. Well, I'm, I'm also super competitive, so I wanted to win. And so I, I, I memorized lots of scripture. In fact, I still remember most of the stuff that I had memorized when, when I was a teenager. Lots of, lots of motivation for me. When I was in college, I, I had chapels and small groups and, and had friends who, who, and girls, who wanted to, to uh, think that was, that was cool if you, know, if you knew, knew scripture and, and were a solid Christian. Now that I'm an adult, I got Zippo. <laughs> What's the, what's the incentive? What's the incentive other than my own desire to please and know God? And sometimes I, I can't trust that. Sometimes I don't have that desire and I need it. And I pray for the Holy Spirit to give that to me. Is that enough? What will it take for you and me to commit to reading this book and studying and perhaps memorizing it? I'm hoping that our church blows those numbers, blows the lid off those numbers I recited earlier. 13% saying they read the Bible every day. Man, I, I hope we could double that. We have 26% of our people reading it every day. Maybe, maybe quadruple that. It would be awesome. Most of you uh, know that, that I uh, have assumed the, the role of youth pastor here at church. Um, it's a role that I had two decades ago when I was young, stupid, and energetic. Now I'm old, senile, and tired. But I've been, I've been praying about what we can focus on in, in youth ministry this year. And I'm, the, the reason, kind of the impetus behind what I want to share today is because I really believe this needs to be the focus for our kids. I then began thinking on how we can motivate young people to read and memorize some of it because we don't have cool prizes or, or girls uh, or Bible quiz teams. And so I started thinking, how, how can we motivate our young people to memorize Scripture? And this is the, the plan that, that I think me and God came up with. And I hope some of you join us. We're going to spend the next eight months in two books. In the book of Philippians and the book of Colossians. Uh, this week, and actually over the next two weeks, uh, I'm preparing booklets for every kid in our youth ministry. And, and maybe some of you, if you want to accept the challenge uh, of memorizing. Uh, the incentive for the kids 
is going to be cold, hard BCC cash. <laughs> so it's, our, it's our new currency we're going to, uh, to put out here at Brown Corners Church. Uh, and this is where you can help. Uh, I'm looking for some folks to invest in our teens. Uh, folks who, who maybe have uh, made some investments elsewhere in their life and, and really want to make an investment in something that, that could potentially change a young person's life. Uh, we go to a lot of cool things. We're planning a lot of cool things for this next year. Uh, we're going to take the youth to, to Nicaragua this year. We're going to do a missions trip in Chicago again. Uh, we do winter retreats uh, that, that are, have a spiritual emphasis to them. Uh, going back to Big Ticket Festival uh, this year. And so what, what we're hoping to do is motivate young people to learn Scripture by helping provide some of the costs for those experiences. And so over the next couple of weeks, you'll probably see an insert in the bulletin that'll give you a little more information on how you can invest in our kids. But I, I can't think of a better way to invest uh, my resources than in challenging young people to take this book and read it, and study it, and memorize it. I don't think there's anything more valuable that I had when I was a kid or that they would have as a teen. So let's be more like King Josiah. Let's make every effort to destroy the things that have taken the place of God's word in our lives. And let's allow this book to transform us into his image. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are just so thankful that we have your word. It is so accessible to us today. We we, we so many times take that for granted. And, uh, and Lord, um, I just pray that, that we wouldn't let things get in the way of, of us and reading your word. Lord, I, I just pray that today might be the day we decide that we want to live transformational lives. We don't want to just be people who sit in the pews and come to church, and, and church is great, yeah, but... Lord, we want your word to transform us. And it starts with reading it and studying it. And so, Lord, I, I, I pray that, uh, that we might be a church that, that values your word the way King Josiah valued your word. He destroyed everything that stood in opposition to your word. And, uh, Lord, I'm thankful that, that we have that heritage here. That, that over the, the, the last hundred years, this church has been a church that has submitted itself to your word and has upheld your word as valuable and, and honorable because it is. And, uh, and so, Lord, I, I just pray that we would, we would step up to that challenge of, of reading it. And if that means we, we've got to change some things about our schedule or, or maybe uh, find a friend who can hold us accountable to that, uh, I pray that we would do whatever it takes to make your word important in our lives. And, uh, Lord, I just pray that... that our young people might sense that as well uh, as we focus on um, Scripture as, as the focal point for youth ministry during this next year. Uh, I just pray that it would be transformational in their lives as well. Lord, we give you all the praise for that in your name. Amen.